0: From 1980, there's just one of the smash hit records enjoyed by The Whispers. And live on the line from California, I'm talking to The Whispers, guys. Welcome to England.
1: Oh, thank you for having us. Appreciate it. How you doing? All right.
0: (laughs) I mean, what an incredible career you've had. Uh, 33 top 10 hits, is it? And uh, 20 albums in over five decades question 20, did yeah, 27 you albums. 27 albums oh yeah wow.
1: 54 year period yeah
0: wow yeah. could you ever have imagined you'd still be doing this 50 some years later
1: yeah we never dreamed when we started out in los angeles california 54 years ago that 54 years later we'd still be doing what we're doing and i mean and very active you know we work about eight months out of the year before the uh coronavirus came about yeah but no we have no idea it's a dream come true absolutely and uh,
0: you've always been a very close family as well haven't you and i know that um uh, you two are, are twins identical twins but also laville and um marcus and uh, that's nicholas right and caldwell. nicholas caldwell yeah you're yeah. a very sort of tight entity it wasn't just a group it was a family feel wasn't it
1: yeah, we all started out. We met in junior high school. Everybody, with the exception of Lavelle, he was a, he was a young one, if you want to call it. <laughs> <The poor. laughs> but, uh, yeah, Nicholas Caldwell, Marcus Hudson, and uh, my brother and I—we all met in junior high in the ninth grade. Yeah, and that's where it all started.
0: Fantastic, because you were—you um, started on the talent circuit, didn't you?
1: Yes, yes, we did. Yeah, they—they, they, the local radio station would come through the neighborhood and give talent shows. Of course, we got on all of them. Yeah. And that's kind of where we all met, you know. People in the talent shows would be backstage honing in on their act. We were were there one night doing a talent show, and we heard three other guys. They were called the Eden Trio. Uh Uh-huh. And We loved their sound. And we said, hey, you know, after this talent show, maybe we should put this sound together. And and that's what we did. We put them along with me and my brother, who was called The Scott twins put the sound together, and there you had the whispers. Now, at
0: this point, can I I just ask you, um, uh, during my research, I threw up uh, an interesting sort of lead that said that you early recorded as the Utopians. Is that true? No, no. (laughs) no.
1: No, I don't know where that came from. See, so that. isn't,
0: so isn't the internet a wonderful thing? <laughs> There's so much information out there and half of it's uh, not accurate.
1: That's a great name, but
0: it wasn't us. <laughs> yeah, right. Lovely. So, but I mean, uh, it wasn't long before you got a recording deal, was it? In 1964, you joined Dore and released this as your debut 45. Here is It Only Hurts For A Little While.
1: which was a small record label here in Los Angeles, owned by a gentleman by the name of Lou Bredell. Uh-huh. And uh, we went to uh, audition for him. And at that time, we didn't really have a name. We were just a five-man vocal group. And when he heard us sing, he thought he thought our sound sounded like a whisper. He said, right. it's very small and a whisper. He said, why don't we call you guys the Whispers? And we said, Mr. Bredell, if you give us this recording deal, you can call us whatever you like.
0: <laughs> Great answer.
1: That's how The Whispers
0: was born. Fantastic. Wonderful. Uh, I mean, you had a good stint with uh, Dorea. Was it
1: 9.45 releases? Yes. Yeah. Uh, Never again, as I sit here, tunes that are only our family uh, knows about.
0: <laughs> oh, wow. <well.
1: laughs> but it was great. I mean, we had, we had what we call regional hits yeah. at mm. that time throughout Los Angeles and some cities uh, in America, but not a lot.
0: Yeah, but, but then you bumped into uh, local DJ Sly Stone, didn't you?
1: That's right. Out of Oakland, California. At that time he was a neighborhood disc jockey radio station called K D I A. huh. That was before he later on, as you know, he became the slide stone. But yes, then of course. he was Yeah, he, he was a he was a disc jockey that heard probably the second record that we ever recorded. It was a tune called Never Again. He heard it, loved it and played it on the radio. and actually brought us to the Bay Area, Oakland. Oh right. Really? All club. We went up there to play. We had a three-week engagement and we ended up staying there two years, basically two, three years, as the opening act for all the major acts that came through that club.
0: Well, Never Again certainly was a great track and no wonder it caught Sly's attention. Let's have a listen. (laughs) Things were really starting to uh, hot up. It opened doors for uh, the next level. Just at that point... Walter, you got drafted.
1: Yeah, <laughs> lo and behold, um, being a twin, I got to be the unlucky one. Yeah. In this country, uh, if, if you're twins, they can't only they can draft both of you. They yeah. can only draft firstborn. So in 1965, here I come. I got drafted, and I spent the year of 1966 in Vietnam uh, watching the Watts Riot takes place in my city of Los Angeles.
0: Yeah. And
1: was a quite heroin experience. and never will forget it.
0: Yeah, I'm not surprised. But, uh, Scotty, how did you... How did you get on with uh, Walter not being there? Because you'd always been so close and sung together, hadn't you? And all of a sudden, you're on your own?
1: Oh, well, it was me and my mom were the two that was left. And i we worried about him, but, you know, thanks to the man upstairs, we got through it. We were like everybody else. We were watching the riots too, but we was under our bed, me and my mom.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> dear, oh, dear. Dear, oh, dear. This is
1: story. We were listening. You know, they brought in the National Guard. We heard bombs going off, (laughs) you know, all that, me and my mom was under the bed saying, you know, that shit passed us by. So
0: your profile was uh, really raised because you carried on performing for uh, major acts like the OJs, and then you got an offer from Soul Clock. Now, one track in particular from your uh, Soul Clock back catalogue remains a favourite on the European soul scene. This is a great tune called Remember Me. How did that come yeah. about, moving from do Re to Soul Clock?
1: Soul Clock, uh, we ran into Ron Carson, who was an independent producer, and he had a hookup with Soul Clock. That was basically his little small label. Uh-huh. And he ended up uh, releasing songs on The Whispers under Soul Clock. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, we introduced, as you say, you've done your homework very well. We had about nine or ten songs under the Soul Clock label. Yeah. And uh, none of them really went to, uh, I guess, you know, up to number one but they were very popular regional wise it like. Mm-hmm. seems like I, as a matter of fact uh, it's a, a parallel of what's going on today versus back then yeah under ron carson we released a song called seems like i gotta do wrong yeah before they noticed me which was basically dealing with the riots that took place in 1965
0: i gotta do wrong certainly was a great track let's give it a play And that yeah. track took you to another level again, didn't it? That um, yeah. that really had some regional success.
1: Yes, that had regional success. And uh, next thing we knew, we had a regional hit, and we were kind of had a regional following. Yeah. But as Scotty said, we, our base was in Oakland, California, and we had the luxury of being an opening act, I mean, for every major R&B act of that time, Curtis Mayfield, the impressions. Wow. The temptations. I mean, we got to see all these people up close and personal And it's really kind of where we learn to do our craft because through that little small club in Oakland called the Sportsman Club, we saw these acts come in and they were so polished. And uh, that's when we, in fact, we first saw the OJs there. All right. And the Whispers used to sing kind of like a little small choir. We'd all get around the mic and, and sing. And once we saw the OJs, Nicholas Caldwell, who said, us, "Fellas, we got to change what we do. No more choir singing. We got to learn routines. Right? We got to we got to learn how to have a show with a band, and that's that's kind of how it took place. But as a result of seeing all these great acts, we had no other alternative but to do our act, and that's it. Really created
2: what you see today.
0: Yeah, I think Nicholas was the one um, behind the importance of the choreography, wasn't he? He sort of uh, mentored all of that.
2: Correct. Yeah, I'm, Nicholas was the uh... Was a man. Nicholas was the only writer that we had in the yeah. group, and uh, as well as 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 well as the choreographer. But when Nicholas decides to do something, he gives like 150 to 200 <laughs> percent. Wherever direction he goes, he goes hard to the paint. He spent hours and hours in his own, I mean, just himself coming up with just like he does creating a song. He created these routines on that same type of level. And, uh, you know, my joy, you know, as a, uh, in the 47 years I've been there to be able to to be able to do those routines, because the one thing that they did is they made us unique from any other uh, group on the planet. Yeah. I think that uh, that we were probably one of the. Best, and I know we try to pat ourselves on the back, but I think we were one of the best in in that area, and that's all due to Nicholas caldwell
0: Well, that's it. I've I've never had the good fortune to see you live myself, but all everything I've read, it's always a very polished performance, both vocally and visually. So, uh, yeah, congratulations. Certainly, made your mark there, and uh, you made your mark at um, at Soul Clock because you soon came to the attention of Janus uh, Label, didn't you? They were a much larger. Yeah, just Janus. Janus.
2: Yeah.
1: Scotty was saying we were under the management at that time of Dick Griffey, who would later go on to create Solar Records. Yeah. But they sent us to Philadelphia uh, under at Chess Janus to work with uh, the people in the 70s and 80s. They, all, they know all about Kenny Gamble, Leon Huff. Mm-hmm. And we were sent back and uh, supposedly to work with them. Strangely, we never got to work with Kenny Gamble or Leon Huff. Oh, we were right. gonna work with the staff of their people. And uh, that song, songs came out like Mother for my children, uh, unfortunately. Yeah, and, and uh, Living Together in Sin. Uh, these were songs all all promoted by the Leon, the, the Kenny Gamble Leon Huff, and it was a great experience because once again it was a learning experience for the Whispers getting to work with different producers, and uh, I mean w- once again we didn't we almost got to the gold platinum which was a half a million sales. Uh huh. We never quite got there with that. Of course, that would later come with Leon Silvers with Andy B goes on.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, I mean, it was um, whilst you were uh, on Janus' label around it, Gordy Harmon uh, had a, a bit of a car accident and had to drop out of the group, didn't he? Which is where you came in, uh, Lavelle.
2: Yes, yes. Uh, yep. I, I had been probably... Uh, <laughs> i have been stalking the whispers for... <laughs> <laughs> For a few years, I can say stalking because I just about went to every performance when they were in California. So, um, and uh, I had the opportunity to meet Scotty at the time, and uh, we became friends. And we, because both of us had a really great love for for cars, right? So through that friendship, uh, you know, me and him hanging out and stuff. So when uh, Gordy got um, hurt, I never really thought about necessarily being with the Whispers and uh, just didn't think about it because our friendship wasn't based on that at all, mm-hmm. just 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 the love of cars, but uh, as I was driving him one day back to the airport I, a song came on, I don't know if it was the Delphonics or the Miracles Delphonics, yeah and I started singing and this guy said, oh my god, man, I didn't know you had a falsetto like that, I said yeah, you know, I've been singing with other little groups and stuff like that, but you know, every man, your voice is beautiful. So we never talked about it anymore past that. And then when I came to a performance, and I didn't see Gordy there, I was like, okay, what's going on? This may be my opportunity mm. to be a part of this. These gentlemen's lives, and uh, and then Gordy didn't didn't return. So uh-huh. you know, I I had the opportunity to uh, uh, audition for. For them, vocally, as a matter of fact, I think I went in the studio and did one of the songs. But my biggest op- opposition was uh, the guy who we wanted up becoming real close and we it together, which was Nicholas Caldwell. Right. Because he, the guy can sing and everything, and you he, he doesn't use drugs and everything. He's probably, you know, straight lace. I was wearing V-neck sweaters and, you know, <laughs> and loafers and all that kind of stuff. They say he can't dance. Right. And, yeah. <laughs> dance colloquial but i couldn't do nicholas stuff so you know scotty uh you know basically talked him into uh taking the shot with me after an audition that they had a national audition yeah and so he agreed well laville your appointment was well
0: deserved and you complimented the group perfectly and what a time to join as well when they were making great music like this
2: Chemistry is everything yes. that yeah. you can mess with chemistry. So um, I rehearsed with Nicholas for a year off stage uh, for years. In travel with them, rehearsed, and you know, in our little hotel rooms, and I sang backstage on the side. So people heard my voice, but they never saw me. Right, and I did that for a solid year until one day they scared the daylights out of me and said, "Tonight <laughs> you're going on stage." <laughs> Fantastic.
0: But you were, you were no stranger to vocal work, were you, performing, because you were singing with the Friends of Distinction? Am I right?
2: Yeah, I started with them and uh, we uh, we were rehearsing to go out because uh, the two male lead, uh, singers at that time had wound up quitting and just had, well actually one of them, and they had still the two original girls and one lead singer guy there, uh, and they asked me to join the group. And, um, I auditioned uh, a song called, um, uh, going in circle. Mm-hmm. And, uh, they liked the tone of my voice and my natural. And they said, wow, okay, let's, you know, let's start rehearsing. We want to be a part of the group. Well, we started rehearsing, but then we, like I said, I was very square, you know, and didn't drink, yeah. didn't use drugs and those kind of things. And we just had a different kind of lifestyle at, uh, didn't fit with what I wanted to to do in life and so we uh parted our ways based on that which uh-huh. was probably the greatest thing that ever happened to yeah. me because I became a member of the whispers
0: yeah you, you became an integral member of a very tight family and uh, it paid off but the career yes. your career was about to take another leap or was wasn't it because uh, you got your first appearance on soul train what a platform In fact, you were regularly featured on Soul Train, performing tracks such as this, the title track from your 1975 LP, Here's Bingo. Soul Train, of course, uh, rapidly became an iconic show, and to be part of that was such a great opportunity.
1: Oh, that was an incredible (laughs) platform. That happened. uh, Most people think it was, you know, his show later went to Los Angeles and became a national show. Yeah. But uh, under Dick Griffey, we were traveling the countries in a station wagon, touring clubs. (laughs) And Don Cornelius had a local show in Chicago called Soul Train. And we all saw it. And, uh, of course, he and Dick were good friends. He is a television guy and Dick is a promoter. And we went on his television show and did his Soul Train show. And, of course, later on, the two of them developed a Soul Train label, which was a record company that we became the first artist signed to.
0: Yeah, and your short time with that Soul Train Records saw the release of seven singles. I'd just like to play one of my favourites. It was the flip to living together. This is called I've Got a Feeling.
1: remember our first uh, our first uh, taping of the Soul Train show was in Chicago and it was just like it ended up being in Los Angeles. We uh, went before a bunch of teenagers who lived in the city of Chicago and uh, we sang at that time we had a local tune uh, uh, not a big hit. We sang one of our songs in front of Don Kandice's audience and little did we know that a few years later his show was going to go on to Los Angeles and they would sign a label of which we would be the first to act on. Yeah.
0: Yeah, fantastic. And it gave you a chance to work with another new producer, didn't it? Um, Leon Silvers?
1: Leon Silvers.
0: Now, he was quite a hard taskmaster, wasn't
1: he? You know, the the greatest thing about Leon Silvers is that The Whispers and he met each other. We were both approaching our prime. Yeah. Leon Silvers, he was becoming one of the greatest producers in the country. Uh And he moved to Solar Records and we hooked up. And the next thing you know, we were doing a song called And The Beat Goes On.
0: Yeah. And what a song that
1: was. And I will never forget, you know, um, we always said in in our business, if you have to kind of scratch a hole in your head and ask yourself, is this a hit? Nine times out of ten, you don't have a hit. Yeah. But if you don't have to do that...
0: You got it in the bag.
1: And and the beat goes on while we were recording that song, we knew that we had a hit.
0: Yeah. Well, you hit the UK and Europe by storm with that one.
1: No question about it.
0: Absolutely. Didn't it say it was your first gold LP,
1: wasn't it? It was our first gold, uh, it was our first platinum, and (laughs) our first double platinum. It it literally was the biggest song that we've ever had, including Rocksteady, which came seven years later.
0: Uh Uh-huh. But you had a string of hits uh, on the back of The Beat Goes On, didn't you? My Girl, It's a Love Thing. I mean, they're still getting plays on uh, on UK radio today. So it stands the test of time, doesn't it? It just shows you. Great music is timeless.
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny. After Andy Beat Goes On, you're right. It seems like everything we touched from 1979 up through 1987, it either was gold or platinum. And we tell young people all the time, you know, if you follow your dreams you never know when it's going to happen. And for us... It happened after we had been singing almost 14 years before we ever had, and the beat goes on. But when it happened, it happened big.
0: Yeah. And he came back again big, as you say, with Rock Steady, and that was seven years later. Yes. Didn't that make number seven on the Hot 100?
1: Yeah, that was number four. Four. Uh, That's when we ran into uh, L.A. Reid, Babyface, Kenny Edmonds, as he was known at that time. They were producing a group called The Deal. All right. And uh, we met these two guys before we ever did their music. We met them in Atlanta, Georgia at a jazz concert. uh, And we went back raving to Dick Griffey, who at that time was the owner of Solar Records. Yes. We told him about these two young guys as producers. And... uh, we got them out to L.A., and the next thing we know, we were doing Rock Steady and uh, In the Mood, and the rest is history. I mean, it wasn't, uh, and the beat was double platinum. Rock Steady almost was double platinum, about, about a mil-eight, which is uh, almost double platinum. Yeah. But what it did, it introduced us to what we think is two of the greatest young producers that ever did it in this business.
0: Right. I mean, you were certainly on a roll. Solar Records uh, was a, a great fit for you. But it was only a couple of years later that you changed labels. You got quite a unique situation going off there, wasn't you? Because your contract was up for renewal. Scotty, tell me about that.
1: Yeah, that's when we left Solar. And I think we went to Capital. Yes. If I'm not yeah. mistaken. And, and, uh, but the circumstances and were... around it. Yeah, well, so we at that time, we were into some some disagreements with Solar that ended up uh, – We actually, we ended up winning because the fact that we got out of the contract, to be very honest with you, the way we got out of the contract is that when the contract was up, they pretty much forgot that it was up. <laughs> so it was, and, you know, that's, that's how much uh, it meant to them, I guess. But we looked around. I remember the lawyer told us, that just be quiet. Just don't say nothing because in a month, this contract is going to be up. And in a month when it was up, everybody was oh my god! But then it was too late, and then we went on the side with capital. Yeah, you know what? There's a great lesson in this breakup uh, that people need to know about in the entertainment business. They didn't even know that the contract was up, but when they found out that it was up, we spent the next two years right. in court All right. trying to get away from each other, which was a vital time in our in our career.
2: Right.
1: Could have been spent in a very positive way. And unfortunately, you know, we tell young people all the time, you know, you really uh call show business, but if you don't know much about the business, yeah, you can very easily become a victim of what happens to you. And that's what happened to the whispers. Mm. You know, the agreement with Solar took far too long to unravel. And we were on the market, we were free agents, I guess is the best term I can think of. We were sought after by at least eight or nine different record companies but couldn't do anything because of injunctions yeah and we finally squared it away but and we ended up going with Capitol records <laughs> and so my mm. record never will forget they thought that it, they thought that we had signed what was gerald the Buzzy. they thought that we had signed with mca and when they found out it was Capitol, they were blown away
0: <laughs> right
1: they thought they had scared everybody from signing the whispers and that's how it happened
0: Yeah. So yeah. The, the change to Capital. Um, LaVille, Capital are more of a corporation than a record label. Was there a difference in attitude towards the artist? Were you more constricted as to what you were allowed to do? Did you lose your artistic licence? Because your style changed a little bit away from Solo. Maybe it was through different producers, I don't know. How do you feel about that?
2: Well, I think uh, you know that our style changed because they didn't have access to the to to the people that actually were successful with us. Yeah. So the formula changes a lot of times when you go. They had producers and writers that they're working with that they have their stable of. And those producers and writer I don't think was as strongly connected to the whispers and what the whispers needed. The the unique thing about Babyface as well as Leon Silvers They didn't write songs trying to be catered to the style of the Whispers. They just wrote great songs. So, when you write a great song, people don't understand once your voice is on it, it becomes what I consider whisperedized. Yeah. Because you put your flavor on it. So, the combination of that record that's already a hit and you put the Whispers voice on it, it becomes the Whispers signature song. And we had a lot of guys there trying to write the style of the whispers instead of writing the song and plus with dick griffey and, and solar records we were we were a, we were a big priority to them you know i think they got caught with their pants down when they yeah. didn't sign i think when you first go over to a company like capital they're you know they're they're doing all the they, they, you know they got all the champagne and mm-hmm. all the cats and all the kind of good things to woo you over there. Yeah. But I think when you're at a group with a company that big, something gets lost in the translation and yeah, I can uh, see that. you're not looked at like Dick Griffey genuinely loved us as a group. He loved us as people. He cared about us. When you're in a conglomeration like that, you're an asset. Yeah. more than anything. So if you don't make if you don't get some hits, they'll drop you like a bad habit. You know, but where Dick Griffey, if you didn't get hit, he always felt like I can make this happen. You yeah. know, I'm going to make this happen. So he had a lot more invested in it. He just got caught with his pants down. And, and it became a conflict of interest because he was our manager and our record company at the same time. And how do you negotiate against yourself?
1: Yeah. though. What Capital also offered the whispers, it was a quandary because... Capital offered the Whispers to have an opportunity to produce other groups. Oh, yeah. right. That would most definitely lured us to that. Uh, we didn't have that opportunity at Solar, but on the other hand, Capital wanted us to work, as Lavelle said, with their producers. Mm-hmm. To be honest with you, the only, even though we work with Leon Silvers and Babyface, the real producers of the Whispers has always been the Whispers. Yeah. Capital wanted us to work with their producers while offering us an opportunity to create other groups which was our dream and of course but eventually it all fell apart because the business itself went into another direction so we ended up losing both of those situations. Right
0: I mean around about that time yourself and your brother took a solo path for a little while you still remained part of the group of the Whispers obviously but you also cut your own LP didn't you?
1: Yeah, and this is what I mean by Capital. Capital offered us the opportunity to branch to branch out and spread our wings. And to be honest with you, the producers of Scotty, me and Scotty's album, which was called My Brother's Keeper, uh-huh. was produced by Nicholas Caldwell and Lavelle Degree. Yeah. <laughs> they were the producers. So it was, it was still a was, family. Yeah. Exactly. It just gave us another arm to spread our wings and do more things, which is why we were so interested in Capital. The only problem is that Capitol had their problem, so we happened to ha- release my brother's keeper at the same time of a young artist that came and said, "You can't touch this." And All the right. Next thing we do, uh, we <laughs> if you remember that,
0: yeah, MC this Hammer.
1: A works. If you remember, that was the uh, priority at Capitol, and then sooner or later, a couple of years later, we were we were basically uh, out of there.
0: All right. Well, it was their loss. What a lovely track. A fall for you, baby, taken from your final LP on Capital, one for the ladies. But uh, you're still touring. In fact, um, you had a very sad evening in 1995. You were due to share a stage with Phyllis Hyman, bless her.
2: Oh, yeah.
1: How awful. So, yeah, we were due to appear with her at the Apollo Theatre. And uh, we all happened to be at the sound check that day, preparing to do that show that night. And we were we were learned that afternoon. Yeah, you know, we were told that Phyllis had committed suicide. They yeah. were trying to get into her room. They couldn't get in to to, to to open the door. No, and that was devastating. But believe it or not, that night we were they were we were debating on whether the show should even go on. And the Apollo Theater said, you know what? We think Phyllis Hyman would want this show to go on. So I'm what so actually thrilled, yeah. happened? Phyllis Hyman's band and 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 ourselves, the Whispers, we went on to do the show, and announced to the audience that night that Phyllis had committed suicide, mm. and uh, it was it was the most weird feeling because some of us wanted to do it and others didn't. The Apollo Theater thought the show should go on, but it was a, a memory that we will never forget because we had toured with Phyllis quite a bit. We actually we weren't surprised because Phyllis used to say jokingly all the time. I'm out, of here. I'm out of here. Yeah, she did and suffer
0: people, with depression quite heavily, didn't she, bless her?
1: No, she did not. And people didn't take oh. her serious. And uh, so when that happened, while we were sad, I said, uh, the first thing I said, man, she really did it. I never thought that she would do it, but she did. Yeah. Yeah. yeah as a matter of fact, we need to that night that we did the show, there was a young, new comedian back then. Her name was Monique. Okay. And, okay. and to be honest with you, in my opinion, Thanks to her, the show was a success because at that time, she wasn't as big, big, bigly known as she is now. Yeah. But she went on stage and made everybody comfortable.
0: Yeah, lifted the mood.
1: The show that she brought, as far as I'm concerned, helped us tremendously. Right.
2: Yeah. But,
0: but I mean, your your band members, um, your group members, weren't without health issues themselves, were they? Bless him, Marcus Hudson had to take a step back in 1992 contracted cancer didn't he contracted
1: yeah. cancer in 92 and we lost him in the year 2000 he had prostate yeah. cancer
0: Poor thing. and uh that um, was a
1: devastating blow to the whispers yeah and of course mm-hmm. us nicholas in 2016
0: yeah and um, laville you had a close shave didn't you
2: yes 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 yeah that's why i'm i'm a big advocate to uh all men today because you know we as men we don't take care of ourselves and then we get all kinds of warning signs and i I was one of those same men that had a lot, a lot of warning signs that something was wrong with um, my, my heart. And I kept ignoring it and put it off to indigestion and heartburn and all yeah. kinds of things. But, uh, yeah, I, I suffered with coronary artery disease, which uh, when I finally went into the hospital, I wound up finding out that I had you know, clogged arteries. Wow. And God, I, I got through it. My symptoms were shortness of breath. I would just be tired all the time. And 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 that's why I tell men today, if you notice anything wrong or out of the ordinary with yourself, go get an examination because I could have actually died. Yeah. But, you know, I don't know why I'm here. I'm just feel blessed that I am here and I just give it all to uh, God that I am here. Fantastic. And uh, my wife, because my wife is, once that happens, she just like said, "Okay, you're gonna change your diet. We're gonna change everything in your life to keep you here." And uh, she always kids. She says, "I can't." <laughs> she always gives me that, uh, you know, she doesn't want to miss out on that paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> I got my money right. Yeah, <laughs> so, quite right. So, she definitely worked on it
0: 24-7. <laughs> but it looks like you're back and fighting fit now anyway, LaVille, so uh, well done. So, guys, yeah. y- you're still bringing out LPs and you're still making new music. Tell me, I mean, your most recent single is How Long. It came out just a few weeks ago. Let's have a listen.
2: It's time for change. <laughs>
0: It's quite a poignant message, isn't it? Tell me about that.
1: Let me open it up by giving props to you in the UK and England and all over the world. Our country at this present time, as you know, is going through a lot of turmoil, racial conflicts with the police. And this is not new. It's a recurrence of that. As you know, it happened years ago, which is why we came out with Seems Like I Got Do Wrong. Mm -hmm. But -hmm. when I look all over the television and I see people in England and France and brazil and and germany and africa i'm just so proud i want to thank everybody all over the world for really uh sympathizing with what's going on in this country and it all started for us uh, because of the pandemic we all find ourselves at home watching television nobody could go anywhere yeah lo and behold we see this guy with a knee on his neck his name is george floyd
0: Mm
1: -hmm. and that set off uh, a thing that happened that we just haven't seen before this entire country, the entire world. Yeah. Pay attention to it. And while this happened, we were in the process, not having recorded for 14 years, we were just going to come out with a regular whisper song. But when that happened, we said to ourselves, we got to put our r- regular whisper song on hold. And we have a bass player. His name is Magic Mendez, And he wrote a song in 1983 called How Long. Mm -hmm. Of course, once we heard the lyric, we reverted back to Seems Like I Gotta Do Wrong. We said, we got to put this tune that we were going to do, put it on hold. We have to record this song because the lyrics of this song deal with what's going on right now in this country. And it's getting worse. You know, it started with George Floyd, but just two days ago, a young man by the name of Jacob Blake was Jackson's we shot seven times in the back so the turmoil is real and it's happening and we feel so blessed to be able to release this song because if you listen to the lyrics it's talking about what's going on in the united states and all over the world right at this present yeah,
0: time yeah so how yeah. can how can people keep up with your uh, activities chaps you've got a website haven't you
1: yeah, yeah, it's com. We're all over the internet. Every platform that you can think of, we're on it. CD Baby is streaming everywhere.
0: Yeah, I see uh, that the new song's uh, available on all the download sites, isn't it? How long? Downloads, exactly right. Absolutely. And it's doing really rather well on the UK Soul Chart as well. I think it went to number three.
1: Yeah, oh. we thank yeah. the UK. It's yeah. incredible. We, we so appreciate, you know, the. Uh, that's incredible. We heard that news. We were elated.
0: Fantastic. Right, guys. uh, Thank you so much for giving me your time. It's lovely to talk to you. I wish you all the very best uh, success for the future. And uh, just keep on doing what you're doing. You've got a very appreciative audience worldwide.
1: Thank you so much. We appreciate the platform. We don't take it for granted. And want to say to you and all of the UK, people all over the world, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Okay, I'd like to play you out now with a
0: track that epitomises The Whispers. It's your signature tune, it just gets better with time, and it certainly does. Thanks again.